0: You're listening to The LOK Show, presented by Smartling. Hey everyone, welcome back to The LOK Show. I'm your host, Adrian Cohn from Smartling, a language translation technology and services company that transforms how you manage content across devices and content types in any language. Thank you for listening. Nancy Ferreira is my guest today. She is the Senior Localization Manager at FedEx. From her journey to Amsterdam to her vision for transforming translation at a company that supports 39 countries... Nancy gives us a glimpse into how she navigates managing localization at a company with over 425,000 employees worldwide. Nancy is an incredible guest. Let's dive in. Hey, Nancy. Welcome to The Loke Show. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, enjoying beautiful uh, weather in Amsterdam today and uh, also a day off, but also enjoying this uh, this show
0: that you invited me to it's it 's just such a pleasure to have you here nancy you 're in Amsterdam right now is that right yes that 's correct yeah how 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 are things in amsterdam what 's life like today yeah, um, yeah
1: it 's been of course a uh, very strange period of time I uh, would been in a, uh, lockdown uh, since mid-March. Um, although the lockdown over here has been um, much uh, suffered than in other countries. Uh, we, we never had really restrictions about going to the streets or uh, you know, there were very, very, I mean, you could still go outside and, and, and walk and, and even some shops kept on being open but um, it was like very weird and stressful, but, uh, two weeks ago, uh, things started to open up even more. Um, so things like, um, hairdressers, um, they call it like the contact occupations, um, uh, physiotherapists, massage, these kind of things started to open. Uh, that's why I have a fresh haircut.
0: <laughs> it <Which> looks fantastic. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Um, so, and I think, uh, for, um, from the first of June on, um, schools start will start uh, uh, going back to to normal in a, in a, also in a staggered way. so things are opening up a little bit more, although I always say that in the Netherlands things were never as bad as. Um, in New York or in other cities in Europe, like Milan or or in in Spain, where you had to basically have like a permit to go on the streets. Um, We never had that, but still it was like um, lots of restrictions. And now feels more like normal life. Uh, and to be honest, I've been enjoying Amsterdam a lot without tourists, <laughs> um, which has been like a problem in the city for the past couple of years, like the overwhelming amount of tourists. And now you can actually enjoy the city um, with fewer people and uh, the weather is beautiful and it's spring.
0: So, yeah, I mean, you have to see the silver lining of a very bad situation. So I I was one of those problem tourists in September, (laughs) hopefully not (laughs) a problem, but um, I had a a fantastic time visiting Amsterdam for the second time in my life, but really the first time as an adult, we had a nice evening where we got to know each other a little better. And You told me that the road to Amsterdam was an interesting one. Where are you from? How did you land in Amsterdam?
1: I am from Venezuela. I was born and raised in Caracas. My parents are Portuguese, and that's why my name is very Portuguese. Um, And I moved to the Netherlands in 2004 um, because of love. And um, yeah, I've been living here since 2004. Um, not in Amsterdam from the beginning. I first moved to a small city up north uh, called Groningen, and um, yeah, I moved to Amsterdam in 2007. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a love story since then. I mean, the, the city is beautiful. Um, even though I was I was born in a big chaotic city, um, Amsterdam is not big at all. It's like, we're less than 1 million people. Um, but also like the diversity of it. Um, I, I reckon it was like 180 different nationalities that we have over here in such a small city. is really um, remarkable. And also in terms of jobs for me, it was really interesting. Um, there is a very a healthy amount of international companies uh, that meet people with my skills. So it's been, it's been great. So I, I really love it here. And, and also it's a very easy city to uh, travel to and, and go anywhere because, you know, we have a very, uh, a great airport connected,
0: very well connected to everywhere. So yeah. Love, it. Kind of where I live. <laughs> love is a good reason to pick up and move. And I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you found that. Tell me a little bit about your work. You've been in the localization space for quite some time now.
1: Yeah. Yes. In 2007, when I moved to Amsterdam, I found my first... I mean, I studied... I've always been a language nerd, (laughs) Uh, also also proclaimed. Uh, I grew up in a bilingual environment. My parents uh, spoke Portuguese. Uh, I spoke Spanish school, so it was always fascinated me. And I studied modern languages at university. Um, so uh, when I moved to Amsterdam and I started seeing, well, because Groningen is a very small city and uh, the, the opportunities of working in a big company or, or even in the, in the industry were very limited. So when I moved here, I really started to... Um, research a bit more, what, what I could do, and um, I landed in a very small um, local translation agency uh, where I learned lots of things about uh, how to be a localization project manager. So this is this was where I started, small agency, and then I moved to a bigger agency, uh, more in the account um, side of things, so more like... Uh, dealing with clients, uh, and then I moved to client side. So I've had like experience in both small agencies, big agencies, client
0: side. So it's been quite diverse um, and quite interesting as well. And today you're on the, the client side working with FedEx. Correct.
1: Yes, I started there in October and. 15, to think about this. <laughs> yes, uh, time flies. Uh, and it wasn't FedEx back, by then. Um, it was TNT, uh, which is also a logistic uh, company. Um, and I started off because back then TNT was uh, very much focused on the digital transformation uh, what everyone calls a digital transformation, um, like especially long-standing companies are still very much trying to make that change to be more um, relevant in the digital um, presence, let's say. Uh, And there was a lot of investments on that side of things at TNT. Um, So basically we needed to um, rebuild our booking tool, um, our website um, in a way that that was more customer uh, focused and uh, more agile, etc., etc. So all these things that lots of companies. Um, Lots of digital companies do it natively. We were trying to do it, like, change the way uh, we used to do things. So we we created this digital department at TNT, uh, hiring a new talent with uh, digital experience. And one of the things that, obviously, um, they realized is that, well, TNT was all... Uh, Multinational, present in 240 countries and territories. Uh, we cover 39 languages, and if we wanted to do like uh, applications and and websites that were easily updated and and uh, reactive to the to to the customer feedback, we needed to do that in 39 languages, uh, and that was very. <laughs> Challenging, of course. Um, so, yeah, basically, when I came in, that was my, yeah, my 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 quest uh, to to make that possible. Uh, so it was very interesting, uh, like in a very old-fashioned company. Um, the company existed for seventy-five years. Uh, we were like this digital department. Uh, full of new people that had no idea about logistics and uh, had a completely different mindsets and trying to implement a uh, new way of working um, in the company so were really exciting times in the in the beginning um, And then uh, like a year later or so we were, um, it was announced that FedEx had us, which for us was great news, of course, uh, being part of this incredible uh, big company. Uh, So everything became (laughs) much bigger, of course. And uh, it's been five years full of ups and downs and, and
0: very interesting and a lot of learning, of course. I love that story, Nancy, because it starts with this quest for realizing digital transformation, mm-hmm. which is something that many companies are either pursuing or have strategic ch- plans to achieve in a certain timeframe. In fact, I think right now, um, for companies that haven't made the leap, the, the the need for digital transformation has become more pressing. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, we're seeing a lot of accelerated roadmaps from our customer base and from the market generally of who is going to make that leap and who won't. When you were brought on to the TNT team, now part of FedEx, and you were trying to help drive digital transformation in the localization space, what was important to you and why were those things important?
1: Um, partnerships so uh, for me uh, it was no doubt that um, we couldn't do it in order to scale we needed to have solid partners um, uh, in, in both the language services uh, and technology um, like I said we cover 39 languages and um, we needed to have speed. So for that, you need uh, professionals, uh, professional translators uh, that actually know what they're doing, uh, but also uh, solid technology that can uh, really support and, um, and make it possible. Without the technology, it would be not at all possible to
0: do this, so uh,
1: that, that was
0: super important. Yeah, and it's I, I suppose as a logistics company, there are a lot of different types of content that mm-hmm. you're dealing with. Can you walk us through like, what are the various content types that you work with?
1: I always said that when, when I started off, uh, we were very much focused on what the TNT digital team was doing, which was basically... Um, uh, TNT.com, so our website, and and our new applications, um, and also the the whole onboarding emails for new customers, um, you know, all the email campaigns, uh, etc. So it was very um, curated. Uh, we we knew. I mean, there were very specific things that we were. Um, Focusing on, <laughs> but then uh, the FedEx reality hit, and um, and then everything became bigger. And even though we have, uh, we still have focus on the dot com channel, on the digital channels, uh, applications, etc. We are certainly little by little also. Um, supporting other parts of the, of the company. So I wouldn't say we're like enterprise-wide support of, of the company, but more and more uh, people uh, find their ways to, to us and ask us for, for support, uh, which is great because it means that we've been uh, successful with, uh, with the program that we have rolled out so far.
0: Yeah. So you, you started with a a certain scope and over time it's expanding based on the success of those projects. Um, why, I mean, I, I understand you're a logistics business and you operate in 39 different countries. Where does translation fall in terms of, um, business value? Have you, have you had conversations internally about like what is the value of language translation?
1: Yeah, that's that's really that's really funny um, because obviously it depends. Oh, I mean, this is such a big company. We are like FedEx. We're like four hundred fifty thousand employees or something. It's it's really massive, and we're everywhere. And but obviously, the United States, where our headquarters are, and it's like mm, the mothership. Uh, it's is. When, when you talk to, to our colleagues over there, um, they see it as like one step that needs to happen, but it, but it changes radically when you talk to regional colleagues, so colleagues from other regions, where they actually see this as, I mean, if the content is not translated, they simply can't reach their customer base. So the the value of translation will depend on on where you're located geographically, or geographically, of course. But basically, uh, we're really like lucky to be based uh, out of Europe because. I mean, we all understand that um, even on an European level, I think we are supporting, from the 39 languages we support, I think, I don't know it from the top of my head, but I think it's 25 languages are European. So it's like the big chunk of, of these languages are based, uh, are, are here. So it's... You know, we we now feel the, the the need, and also now that in the past two years that we've been talking more and more with our regional uh, colleagues, we understand how va- how much they value it themselves. So, um, it's, it's it's even something a bit emotional, which I, I also think is always very interesting about this industry, right? Because we're talking about. Um, you know, customers and obviously our main uh, goal is to help our customers. But also when you talk to our regional um, colleagues, you you can see how important it is to have their content translated right with the right tone of voice for their customers. It's, it's some sort of a pride kind of thing. Like it, it's very emotional. And, and, and this is one of the reasons why I love this industry so much, because it's not only about um, you know, the making money, which obviously I, I, (laughs) this is a very important part, but it's also like, there is a a very emotional link between language and business. So what I need to express myself, my customers need to believe that we are, we know how to talk to them. And that's, that's really amazing.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've sensed that not just from you, but from so many folks in the industry that there's a real passion for the customer experience. Yeah. I think that's what this comes down to is it's it's making yeah. a very rich and engaging experience so that your customer can utilize your product service. But there is a, a very unique passion. And I think it's because language has always been a very romantic Yeah. Part of life, yeah. um, and and, that, and and that has a, a, a significant impact on how we approach the industry and the job that we we take so seriously in in the business.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's really funny because we uh, we have regular calls with um, with our regional colleagues about to, to know how they're finding the translations and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's really it, the first thing they, they say, "Oh well, the translations, you know, they lack something." And, and you know, it's because this language. I'm I'm gonna name a language because everybody says the same, regardless of which language you're talking about. This language is is really difficult, it's a very difficult language and context uh, <laughs> means a lot. Uh, so every language is the same, but you think that your language is very unique, um, and and that's that's beautiful, right? Because it's kind of like it's part of your identity of of who you are. And obviously, if you care about your brands, and if you want your brand to be successful in your in your country, um,
0: you you want to make sure that 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 the language is right. I have so many questions. All right, so you you are sitting in a role where you're managing translation for the company on a on a country level on a regional level. Where do you sit in the whole stack?
1: Oh man, <laughs> this is. I think that lots of my colleagues in the localization industry will recognize this, and that is that when companies like ours have. Um, a localization, internal localization team. And and this happens especially in non-native digital companies. So let's say like the Ubers or the um, Netflix or or Booking, they are digitally native and they understood really right away that they needed to have like a way of scaling their content in different languages and their localization internal teams have been there almost from the beginning. So it's it's very, um, it's very like, um, it, Evidence where where the the, the team sits. But in companies like ours, very often uh, each marketing team did their own thing. Uh, Each region did their own thing. It was really like very fragmented. Um, And I noticed this when I started with the TNT project. It's like, okay, let's try to centralize. And then people were like, but why? And and then I had to convince about centralizing. Uh, So, and and now uh, what, you know what happened? What 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 started as mm, let's just do the digital content. Like I told you, now I'm getting. We are getting not only me. Uh, there's also we have a sister team in the U.S. Getting like mm, emails from HR or from internal cons or other departments that were like, "Hey, can you help us?" So even though we we are sitting in the digital department, we see more and more interest in. Um, how we're doing this magic of having things translated um, and, and, and then we're helping. So for now, we're in the digital department and uh, we're staying there, but, but who knows? I mean, it's, it can
0: change. Smartling just released a new plugin for a design application called Figma. Figma is used by teams to design digital content experiences like websites and applications. We built a plugin so that you can start translating and localizing your content as soon as the design prototypes are available. Why? Because it makes the entire process for shipping new products faster. You can check to see if text fits within buttons, how layouts change with different devices and make design decisions based on your preferred user experience. You can easily eliminate costly changes to your builds when translations don't fit with designs. You can also understand how the length of text for different languages will impact the global user experience while you're prototyping your content. And finally, you can accelerate the translation process by submitting content to linguists earlier in the process. Smartling's localization plugin for Figma seamlessly connects your designers with Smartling's translation service in just one click. Learn more today at smartling.com slash Figma. So you're working on translations for digital content and you have regional colleagues that you collaborate with to ensure quality or do they do the selection of what content gets translated? How, how does that work?
1: So we have, um, let's let's try to simplify this. So for example, uh, our website, FedEx.com, it has content that is um, valid for like, the whole world Uh, and there is content that is also only for certain regions and there, there are content, there is content that is only for certain countries. So the website has this kind of like layer of global, regional, country level. Um, And this is all um, coordinated uh, from our, we call, our department is called Digital International Team in cooperation with uh, the regional offices. And then there are other types of content like campaigns. So we also support marketing campaigns, especially in Europe. Um, And they have, uh, usually they have Different types of asset that assets that are sometimes not only digital but also print. So this is uh, one of these things that you know we didn't mean to support, but we 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 have to end up supporting like uh, print material. Um, so yeah, and then on top of that, uh, we also uh, support our product team, product team, so the teams that develop our um, applications. So we have lots of applications where our customers, big or small, or depending on, on what type of customer, it can manage their own um, uh,
0: shipments and et cetera. So, so yeah, it's a mix between marketing and product. So so let's zero in on the, the digital content for marketing and product. When it comes to you, um, are you the one making decisions about what languages it gets translated into or no?
1: No, this comes from the, from the stakeholders. So, yeah, stakeholder management is one of, uh, of, of the things that keeps us busy.
0: Yeah. So it comes from the, 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 the owner of the content. Correct. They make the decision. This has got to be shipped in, let's just say 39 different languages or whatever it is. And then you make that happen with the regional teams. Yes. Adding value at some point in the, in the process, either by doing quality reviews or, or resource management.
1: And also things like, um, very often, uh, we get content that is translated, and then the regional the regional offices tell us, "Hey, sorry, but this service is not available in this country, or this product is not available here or there so there is this type of communication about um, yeah availability of services or or products in in such a big company uh, there is not it's very difficult to find things that uh, actually fit all right so we have is very um, fragmented the uh, array of services and products that we uh, deliver in different countries
0: That makes sense to me now that we're talking about it <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. but but it but what I'm sort of realizing in this conversation is that for a company, the si- that that is the sheer size and magnitude and product offerings of yours. Um, and companies like yours, the complexity for language translation is just through the roof. Um, There are just so many components that contribute to all of the decisions that go into supporting languages and then managing that process. You mentioned that the stakeholder, the content owner, is the one setting the, the conditions for whether or not something goes to get translated. And you said that a big part of your job is managing those relationships. Mm -hmm. Can you walk me through what are some of the things that are part of that relationship? Are you talking about whether or not that source content will work for the target market? Are you discussing timelines and release dates? What's part of, what's behind that relationship? Well, it can vary.
1: Let's say that it's a new stakeholder that never worked with us um, and they have heard about the fact that we support uh, or that we can help um, facilitate the process. So um, we try to figure out, okay, what type of content is it um, and how can we automate it? Like The first thing we want to know is, is there a way we can leverage our technology uh, to and not reinvent the wheel. So, um, for example, if it's a marketing uh, stakeholder that probably will launch um, a campaign where a couple of landing pages, emails, and brochures will be needed, then we know that we have... You know the technology set up is there because we have SmartLink uh, connected to different the different tools that support this our uh, email management system our content management system so all of that is is set up so normally, if it's like a um a colleague from marketing, we know that we don't have to even think about the technical part and we only need it talk about okay how many assets are we talking about what type of assets and also the timelines um and very often we also have to inform them that maybe their timeline is not that good because another campaign is at the same time so it's 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 true that when a company a company is this big this these kind of things can happen right like there are so many teams working on content that they don't realize that at the end it all comes to the same funnel and that that can have an impact on the, on the timelines or on the prioritization, et cetera. So that's, that's, that's a tricky one, one that we are still working on. But the interesting, interesting is when, for example, there is a new tool or a new application, um, that has not, uh, that needs a technical setup. So, how we're gonna? Uh, how can we just prevent this being a manual process? Like we don't want to receive files that we have to manually upload to the tool and etc. So how can we facilitate this? And people like you, you can see how some of all the stakeholders are like, but why are you making this complicated? I just need this translated. <laughs> uh, and we need to explain why this onboarding on, on, on the technology setup will benefit them in the long run and how. Was in was not there for them uh, if if they go through the whole uh, technical setup that normally involves you know developers talking to each other uh, involving the technical people from Smartling trying to figure out how to best do it um, some people give up in the, <laughs> like along the road and, and some and some people uh, go go for it and then when they go for it they're like oh my god you know it was like a little set up and a little like brainstorm in the beginning, but now things are so much easier. So uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting because we need to kind of keep the education part. Lisa, it's a constant thing. You, we we really always need to, to tell the same story every time a new stakeholder comes in.
0: One thing that I picked up on in what you were just talking about is the balancing act of all of the priorities Mm -hmm. that hit your team. Um, I'm sure that everybody who comes to you is saying this is high priority. We got to get it done. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: I have the most important content ever. Yes. <laughs> and, and fair enough, you know, like who am I to tell someone that their content is not important? I mean, like if you tell them me it's important, it must be. Uh, but yeah, it is, it is, um, it is a thing. And, um, what, what I found like really interesting in this company is that, um, our, our regional uh, colleagues that are the ones uh, validating the translation, approving them, et cetera, are the ones saying, we can't no more. So it's not only me and our team or the, the team, our sister team in, in the U.S. saying, hey, guys, there's so much going on, but also our regional colleagues are like, Hey guys, we need to talk because this cannot go on. Because in some countries, uh, the marketing teams are very big, uh, or the people who review or put the translations are four or five. But in some countries, it's maybe half someone. You know, like someone with a with a, with other uh, responsibilities within the marketing team, and then they have to do this on the side. So um, it's it's been uh, we've been having a lot of conversations about this specific topic in the past six months or so, um, because we need to get better at uh you know planning in a way that everyone still has um fun <laughs> because sometimes it feels like it's so overwhelming and like we were saying people have so much emotional connection with um their translated text that they want to do a good job, but then if there is, like, lots and lots of things to be approved and translations to be approved or feedback loops, etc., uh it becomes kind of, like, overwhelming and they feel like they're not doing the job that they should be doing, or at least in, the, in a good way. Um, and we really need to, to be better at planning in a way that um, people
0: feel like they're adding value and not just, like, ticking boxes. To me, part of planning and part of this prioritization conversation is understanding the value of your content and the type of translation that you use for each of the different content types, specifically the different ways you can get work done, human, machine, uh, the various methodologies. Have you started looking at and testing different ways of accelerating translation workflows? Um, <laughs> I,
1: uh, I'll try to to give this answer in a way that <laughs> that it doesn't sound too harsh. But um, one of the one of the things in my in my experience, um, that, I mean. Uh, Conversations with our colleagues that differentiates um, natively digital company with a company that is going through the di- digital transformation is the importance they do to they give to to data and to performance. So I I I see that companies that are digitally native are very much focused on okay what is the da- data how many people are looking at it what's the reaction etc. So this. There are data sets and KPIs are the driving factors of the decision making in old-fashioned companies or companies are more in the where were built in in the old world. Let's call it like that. It was still like marketing brand awareness, brand awareness, brand awareness, Um, and that shift towards data is something that is part of the digital transformation and is something that you have to constantly um, bring uh, to the table and challenge. So it is something that we're definitely getting better at, but it is a work in process, progress Sorry, because um, it was not the way uh, things used to be. Now there's much more, but it was not the way it used to be. So uh, yes, we are more and more looking at data and bringing the data points uh, so that people make decisions about what type, kind of content they have to create and push and, and roll out. Uh,
0: but there is still uh, lots of opportunities to get better at that. It's It's definitely not a small or simple uh, problem to solve, no. especially considering everything we've talked about, the scale of your content, the number of languages, the diverse resources who are involved. What are some of the entry points that you think will be most effective to supporting your team in this digital transformation process? Is it data about translation quality? Is it data about the content volume or how much money you're spending on the translation, where's your head at?
1: Well, translation quality is an interesting one. It deserves a conversation on its own because it's so subjective. And to me, translation quality has one metric and that is, can our customer do what they came to do on the website? Uh, if our customer receives an email, do they know what we're talking about? That that's for me like the most important thing, and not if there is a comma <laughs> where it shouldn't be or there's a problem with capitalization. Um, so, and and that is like quite uh, quite quite tricky, but I think that you need to start from the beginning, right? Like you have to to like. You have to have the those metrics set up in the in, in, in your in your source. Like, what's, what's what would you want to achieve with this, um, with this content? And I think that things like uh, speed of translation or even budget are a bit irrelevant, to be honest, unless mm, there is a massive bottleneck that delays a launch because of, of, of translation then you have to look at it but to me it's more like is is it is our co- are our customers understanding what we're talking about and are they able to book a shipment or to know what's happening with their um shipments uh, when they receive information from us um are they Sending an email back, are they calling customer service? Uh, can, can they do what they're meant to do with the information that you were given to them on the digital platforms?
0: I see. So, so is the way that you're currently measuring this how people interact with your products and services? You, you mentioned a couple of things. If they reply to the email, if they click a button, are those the type of data points that you're looking at?
1: We are looking at some of these data points, but it is really tricky as well because for example, the customer support calls is something that we really want to 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 start digging into but in such a big company, you can imagine how diverse this is, and also our customer service um, way the way they also collect the data is, is really there there has to be so much there, there is there is a lot of work that needs to be done on that side of things so we can actually uh you know uh measure uh measure and compare um uh oranges to how do you say that in English?
0: they say they say apples to oranges oh, apples
1: to oranges <laughs> um,
0: yeah well, that actually they say apples to apples that would be apples a fair apples, that's a yeah. fair comparison but I, I just as a tangential i don't really understand the uh the phrase Myself, I get apples to apples, but if you say apples to oranges, it's some, meant to be vastly contrasting. Exactly, um, but it's not, it's fruits, right? They're both fruit. they're both rounds, they're both approximately the same size <laughs> and weight. I get it, they taste different, and there's a skin on one that you can't eat, and there's a skin on another that you can, but it yeah. doesn't make sense to me.
1: If you get that as, as a translation, uh, like a source, I compare apples to apples then you have to think about this.
0: Well, uh, th- that's, that's a good point. And it actually goes back to something that we were talking through a little earlier, which is how do you interact with the, the stakeholder? Have you been finding that more of the content is like hyper creative and that it, it simply will not work in different markets and does that cause a a bottleneck or have you found that at FedEx the the language is simple enough that it can it can transfer to different markets with ease?
1: Oh man, marketing campaigns, aren't they a joy (laughs) all the time. So if it's it's like more functional text on our website explaining our services we try to be as as simple as possible and as clear as possible of course. but when it comes to marketing campaigns, uh, yeah, people tend to get um, creative, and sometimes it is really hard to to you know to really translate this. Um, but we have come to a place now that we can actually raise a flag and say, "Hey guys, this might be difficult to translate." how we're gonna how we're gonna do this how we're gonna brief this to the agency maybe we need to brief this to the uh, regions uh, first uh, to to get their feedback um you know they do involve us now in an earlier stage uh, so we can um give our feedback and and see how sometimes too late but but we we've seen improvements in, in, in as, as new campaigns come up. Although now, not not a lot of campaigns are going on, but um, we we are getting involved and getting like uh, the question: uh, Do you see a problem here? And then we can have the conversation on how to tackle it. And what I really find funny is that. Um, if we, for example, are uh, supporting our team in, in Europe, um, most of the people working on the campaign, working with the agency that comes up with the, um, the taglines and all of that are not English native speakers. And still, because <laughs> marketing and taglines in English sound so great, they don't see the difficulty about translating, translating certain things. So. For example, our last campaign uh, for Europe was "Believe in Possibilities. Um, believe in Possibilities is such a. Uh, I mean, even the word "believe" or, or the or the or the verb to believe can have such a so many connotations in, in so many countries and so many in so many languages. Sorry, um, even religious connotations. So the moment that you translate the word to believe, uh, it sounds like a religious thing. Um, and that, that was something that we had to work with and, um, and see how we could sort it out. Um, some countries sorted it out better than others. Uh, some countries decided to live in English, of course. But it's always very interesting to, to, to have these conversations and to see how... Uh, I feel like now we are involved earlier on Um, probably because there was a point that they were fed up with us
0: complaining about it
1: (laughs) during the campaign translation.
0: (laughs) I think that's such a cool example that you've offered. Uh, and And it really illustrates the challenges of translation that somebody who is a source content creator may simply not think about. Yeah, and it to me it just reinforces the value of localization teams, and yeah. it, it it helps me to think through like what is the appropriate framing for mm-hmm. localization in today's world. There is so much content, and that's not changing. There will be more content, and yeah. there will be more diverse content types, and the market opportunities will expand. Having somebody with the expertise to recognize and to work with content creators to ensure messaging and campaigns are set up for success before they even hit the translation uh, team is essential to realizing a high-quality service for the end user.
1: Yeah, we have, we actually have some content creators in the digital team. Uh, we have uh, copywriters as well that uh, for, for certain types of contents. Um, and they have been kind of trained uh, about this. And then when they come up with something, they come to us and, and tell us, Hey, we're thinking about this email or about this uh, tagline or whatever. are what would you think what do you guys think is it going to be difficult to translate can we and sometimes the copywriters also offer like alternatives for translations but that only happens when the content is created by our own uh, team internal team but when it's outsourced to an agency that's a bit more difficult
0: yeah I think
1: I think there is a, there is a gap there for ad
0: agencies to, <laughs> like to in <laughs> To swoop in and focus on the, like the, the, the high value statements.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, you see it all the time. I work with other big brands and you're like, come on guys, you know that you sell your products in non-English speaking countries. Why do you come up with this tagline that is impossible to translate? Mm-hmm. I mean, not everyone, not everyone can get away
0: with just do it. Right. Like <laughs> that's a pretty solid tag.
1: I know, I know, and it works in English. And many, and many, some some countries just left it in English because you know it's, it's that's it. It says a lot, but not a lot of brands can get away with that.
0: Three words that that almost yeah. everybody will understand universally, and certainly an icon. it
1: that brands,
0: yeah, <laughs> right. That that folks will not forget. So, yeah. Nancy, if, if you think about everything you've accomplished and. Uh, everything you've learned over the years in localization, what what's your vision? What's your vision for the industry and for the space and for what you do at FedEx on the near term and the long term?
1: I always I, I always say the same. I really hope that the value that we bring to companies uh, increases. And and I do see changes, of course, in, 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 in the industry, uh, how brands want to invest and understand the importance of investing in, in this expertise. Um, still not at the level that we would like to. Uh, it's, it's really funny, we'll always say that you you will never go to a developer and tell them, "Hey, I saw the code that you wrote. But, you know, maybe you should think about doing it some in a different way." But a lot of people come to us to give us advice about uh, our own area of expertise because everyone that speaks more than two languages know how to translate, or or people think it's just you know simple, uh, just you know put it through smartling and it will come back. Um, and you, you really need to be repeating your story and willing to repeat your story over and over again because it's such a, people take it from, for granted. You go to a website and you know that if you click on the, on the little flag, you will have the option to change your language and nobody thinks about what happens how how did it get there so you i I hope that we come to a place that people understand that it's not just magic. there are lots of people working on it, and then the effort that you put in creating your content originally should be the same effort you put in um, rolling out the content in in the multiple languages your customers are on, so I really hope that uh more and more companies
0: understand the value of this. And is this something that, that you're actively working on internally at FedEx to help? Every day. Get,
1: every day. <laughs> so every day. And I also want to mention the, the role of technology in all of this, because people don't associate languages with technology. Like you said in the beginning of the conversation, it's, very, it's a very romantic Thing. Uh, people, people think about people writing uh, letters and, and dictionaries, and, and that's not how things work. Um, so the fact that you need technology and that people should not be afraid of technology to make it possible—that's something that every day we are repeating. Like you need to, you need to help to help you need to let us help you but then for that you need to be open to uh to explore the how we can help you with with our technology or with the technology that we offer um so every day is is like a yeah like like a, i don't want to say the word evangelize because it's one of these business words but it's really education and and let people know what we're capable to do if if they're willing to to also help themselves.
0: (laughs) Well, you're not alone. I think there are a lot of teams out there who are doing the same thing. And that's what I'm excited about when I think of the localization industry. I meet so many people who are project managers or translators or product owners that are trying to advance their business through language translation. yeah, And there is a common cause, which is spreading awareness about how complex language translation is and how nuanced the details are and yeah. how much opportunity there is to make the experience even richer for the end user.
1: One of the things that I've, I've done, I mean, in a company like this, you have to have like a slide deck with your story and keep on <laughs> keep on tweaking it every every time because before you know you have to present what you do and, and and how you can help other teams so I always have these these slides ready and try to keep them updated with how we have changed or new things that we 're doing uh, but there is this slide that I made uh, like three years ago I wanted to understand to to make people understand that it's not like you push a button and it comes and after a couple of days it comes back uh, translated by magic if we are covering let's say let's say 32 languages so we have 32 translators 32 editors 32 uh, in-country reviewers Uh, how many people we have there (laughs) and then we have like Project managers in our site, project managers in the LSP. So, um, roughly every request into our full scope of languages can, can keep around 120 people busy. Um, and that's like the size of our department, <laughs> a, bit, a bit smaller. Uh, so, that, that's, that slide with the amount of people that are actually behind the curtains. Uh, has been an eye opener for a lot a lot of people. <laughs>
0: it's a, it's an amazing thing to think about before yeah. a single piece of content hits yeah. the end user. It goes through potentially up to one hundred and twenty or thirty folks just to uh, enable that experience for a worldwide audience.
1: And yeah, of course, we can say yeah, you have machine translation now. Why don't you do it well? Because it's also not as easy. I mean. It's easier said than done. It's also not a silver bullet and not for all content. We are thinking of empty, of course. We still are not. Uh, we haven't taken that step yet, but very long overdue, of course. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's still human work. Uh, it's still, there are still people behind it. And um, I also love it when people ask me, but if we pay more money, do we get it quicker? <laughs> it's like you still cannot make 2,000 words possible. Like you cannot translate 2,000 words in two hours, even if you pay me 10,000 euros.
0: (laughs) Language takes time. And I think that it's a good reminder as well as we come to a close, Nancy, that that this is a very human process. There are are real people who manage translation. There are real people who translate the work we, we revealed there lives in the move the world with words campaign and book that we released last year. And, um, it's, it's a very, it's a very unique, uh, business function that you hold at FedEx. And it's one that, that, that I think is a really cool one. And I'm really appreciative Nancy that you took your time today to share your story.
1: Thank you. No, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, I always, I'm always more than happy to, to share um, you know what we've been doing. By far, not perfect. Uh, we, we still have lots of things to learn and lots of new challenges, but, uh, but
0: we're getting there. We're getting there indeed. When sharing of this podcast, we will do and your story, we will do. We thank you so much, Nancy, thank for you. joining today. Thank you, Adrian. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nancy as much as I did. If you liked this episode of The Loke Show, hit the subscribe button so the next episode will be waiting for you. And if you loved the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way. If you're not ready to give a five-star review, give our next episode a shot. We appreciate your listening. If you have any feedback, or want us to interview one of your favorite people in localization, just email me at acohn at smartling.com. See you next time.